Bird Camp Podcast is proud to introduce our newest sponsor, Dakota 283. This U.S. company produces made-in-the-USA dog kennels of various sizes and options. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyles products for you and your best friends. Not only kennels, but Dakota 283 manufactures food and water solutions, storage for pickups, SUVs, and UTVs, and even a grooming-slash-dog washing station. Dakota 283 is offering free shipping to the continental United States on all their items at their website at dakota283.com. I just personally ordered the G3 medium frame kennel in Hunter Orange. I like the medium size for my Llewellyn setter, and it even has the option for a kennel insert for puppy training for a future puppy that will be added to our family. Use our coupon code BIRDCAMP10, that's BIRDCAMP10, for a 10% discount. Check out all their products, including their kennels, at www.dakota283.com. That's dakota283.com. Welcome to the Bird Camp Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of bird hunting. So grab your favorite bird dog and join two brothers from Michigan as we gather around the campfire. Welcome to the Cubby. Welcome to the Cubby. I hope it's not too late. Join us at the campfire. Camp. Here we are. We have a guest we've been looking forward to, actually, uh, uh, Dr. Hank Clemens. Did I get that right, Doc? Yes, Clemens. Clemens, mm-hmm. uh, a veterinarian, is joining us, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about his background and maybe have him tell him a best first or last story uh, at the end. But most importantly, we're talking about dogs and uh, how to prepare them for the season from here in June. The next 90, 80 some days until opening day here in Michigan, and then what to do after that. Um, so we'll kick it off. Welcome to the Covey, Dr. Hank. That's what we call our uh, listeners and guests. So we appreciate you coming on with us today. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And where are you located at? Just, just well, I'm cur- currently living in uh, beautiful mountains of Sandpoint, Idaho, northern Idaho, up in the Panhandle. Nice. Yeah, we both have some experience in Coeur d'Alene, and I looked it up, and that is one of my favorite areas of the continental United States. That's just beautiful. There's nothing like it. You sent us a picture out of your, uh, off your deck, and it just about made me want to weep. It was like, it's like, that guy in that kayak should be me. (laughs) So where exactly was it? I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't need exact. But thanks for coming on. I, we'll get you some background information here, and then we'll get rolling. And uh, we really appreciate it. So, uh, where did you grow up at? I grew up. I was born and raised in uh, Northern Alabama. Northern Alabama got a lot of experience down there too. So I know that area, Boaz, and well, we we all have our crosses to bear. But uh. <laughs> I spent a lot of time down there in my career. Uh, 
And what, what? How did you get interested in upland hunting? Uh, well, I grew up bird, uh, quail hunting down there. We did a lot of quail hunting uh, when I was a teenager. A buddy of mine, uh, his dad had some dogs, and we'd grab them after you know while he was at work during the week and after school. We'd grab his dogs, and as he said, we'd ruin them. You know, two or three days a week, but uh, we we just go out quail hunting after school and just loved it and and i've never really been a big game hunter so but uh i i I like watching dogs work yeah yeah Yeah. it's interesting how we end up similar paths Uh, i've never been a big game hunter i don't have anything against it i think it's kind of cool but um it was the after school and the weekend afternoons we can get away to walk in the fields and uh with the birds and dogs that's the good part right there well and, and back and back then i mean they weren't you know, I mean, there was a lot of fence row cover and, you know, fields that were just laying fallow, not because they were getting paid by the, gov- <clears throat> by the government to do it, but because they couldn't afford to work that field this year or whatever. And, and the quail were everywhere. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, I can remember going to a place and I, I remember the explaining to a friend that went with us, okay, we got five coveys in this place right here one's gonna be over there one's gonna be you know and you you knew how to work them and they were everywhere they were just everywhere when you teach people this upland sport they get amazed when you can do that and it's like well i've walked this field 20 times i kind of know where yeah. they are at <laughs> and so how, how did you end up with an interest with an interest in veterinary medicine well i grew up uh, in a medical family my my dad was a physician i come from generations of physicians brother and sister physicians so it was the rebellious uh, 70s and even though my dad expected me to go to medical school i went to veterinary school instead to become the black sheep oh nothing wrong with being a black sheep i think i'm one of those myself uh where where did you go to vet school at i went to auburn university yeah i was gonna say if, yeah. if you stayed in state you went to auburn great school yeah it's my favorite down south school yeah it's, yeah uh, and then uh, well see i i I'm kind of torn uh, when they're playing football because my undergraduate degree is from the University of Alabama. I have a degree, oh. an English major and a biology minor, and then I went to vet school at Auburn. So uh, I can just about be guaranteed that one or both of them will be in the top five every year. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if not the top two. <laughs> so I... Uh... I have a story, but it's not that interesting. But sitting with a bunch of customers in Alabama, they're in the fall, and they're talking about college football and you know Auburn. It was a split table, just like what you're talking about with your degrees. And they're going, sure. you know, it, we're we're at breakfast, and it goes on and on and on. Finally, they look to me and says, "Well, our guest speaker today is Kevin." Kevin, uh, you want to introduce? And I said, "Yeah, sure." I introduced myself. I said, "I have one question." I says, "Up north, we didn't even know you people played college football down here." <laughs> whole room they were throwing things at me it was funny yeah, but, well so i understand that split thing well, especially let, with your let degrees me tell you this you got, i got one story on on the sec so <laughs> that when i was a uh, a junior and senior at the university of alabama i was an english major and i my student work job was to tutor english in the athletic dorm so i got the football players and stuff to tutor english in and I decided that that uh, how they dis- chose which sport to play 
was they'd put a football, a basketball, and a baseball in front of them. The one they could correctly identify was the sport they got a scholarship in. And if they could get two out of the three at the end of four years, they'd give them a degree. So, uh, I'm telling you what, now, I, I carried some of those football players all the way. I mean, we had to do freshman English several times, but we got through it. Uh, well, I, I played ball with somebody at college. I, I'm convinced, well, now we call it a... It, not ADD, uh, but dyslexia. I, I'm not so sure if he could read. He was a great guy, great ball player, but it just, it was kind of sad to watch him struggle, to be honest with you. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, um, so you went to vet school, and then you went out into practice, correct? Yes, right. I moved to, uh, right from vet school, we moved to Wisconsin. My wife, we, she wanted. She went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, mm-hmm. and so went to that area. And boy, I tell you what, I fell in love with it. So, well, we stayed. That's that's completely understandable because as Michiganders and uh, original Upers, we we consider Wisconsin kind of heaven. It's like one <laughs> step down. You know, you just got to drive up around the corner to heaven, right, Doc? Yeah. <laughs> so, do you get any grouse hunting while you're in Wisconsin? Well, that, that's where I started. I, I had never heard of rough grouse, actually. And um, I, I, one of the uh, horse trainers I worked for was originally from West Virginia. And he had hunted uh, quail throughout. And he said, oh, you wouldn't believe this other bird I've discovered hunting up here. And we took a trip north. And I'm telling you what, I was addicted to First, after the first flush, I think I was addicted to rough grouse hunting. I, I don't. I, I've only been quail hunting a few times since. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's a lot different, isn't it? It's a lot different, and uh, I got to tell you that it must be some about veterinarians in our camp of six or eight guys. We have two of them, so um, basically because of the industry I worked in. But um, one of them, Doc. Dr. Tom, he uh, he was addicted the first time he pulled the trigger with me. And he was like, I want to know everything. <laughs> he has that, yeah. the veterinarian mind. I want to know. So that's awesome. Now, yeah. what, what organizations, uh, we see your name bouncing around journals and whatnot. What organizations and publications are you working with? Uh, the only one that really and truly I'm, uh, I'm writing for right now is uh, the Upland Almanac. And I think you guys interviewed those guys. Tom oh, Carney. yeah. That's nothing against the other publications. That's top on me. That's the top one. But go ahead. But uh, uh, and Tom, I, I've hunted with Tom for. I'm part of their, and I'm sure it's name. I hate to drop names, but you know Tom Hugler and Jerry Dennis and um, uh, Norris McDowell. All those guys. I I've hunted in their camp for I don't know ten or twelve years now. So excellent. Um, yeah, they're, we're a lot of fun. I, I thought they originally invited me to join their group because of my sparkling personality and my rapier-like wit, but just realized they didn't have a vet there to take care of their dogs. No. <laughs> well, the two vets that are in our camp are both pig vets, and and so every once in a while we'll turn and ask them a dog question, they just look at us. Wrong mammal is what Doctor D says. Wrong mammal. Now, do you guys you have your camp here in the Midwest or is that out west? No, no, no. It's in uh, it's in the UP every year. Oh, heaven. it is. Okay, it's, it's in heaven. That, that's that. That's that. Uh, and I don't know if you've talked to any of it's. It's been written about in every journal these guys all write in about the uh, 
the uh, grouse and woodcock camp every year that they have. Uh, yeah, Tom was alluding to that. Yeah, 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 Tom was alluding to that when we had him on. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting. And the one thing with grouse hunters, you know, we're not going to ask you specifically where that camp is because that that's that's bad that's bad form right there, isn't it? Well, not, and I can tell you they have it at Timberdoodle Lodge every year. And uh, now this year, well, last year we didn't have it, but this year they're going somewhere different. Everybody is upset about it. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So, you, you know, right after we get done with this episode, we'll be looking up Timber. Oh, Matt's doing it now. Timber Doodle Lodge. <laughs> he just yeah. picked up his phone. Well, it, and it's a great place. It's just they couldn't well, accommodate it. They're going to have an opening this year, so maybe we'll just step in. It'd be kind of <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, and, so you well, work see, with Up and Almond Matt? That, 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 that was. That was strategic because we're not hunting in that area this year, so I'm moving you further away from here. <laughs> uh, awesome. We fell into that trap. We fell right into it. See, I've worked with veterinarians my whole career. You guys, I have always known you're smarter than us. You trapped me. That's awesome. <laughs> so, well, it, what, the reason we had you on, as I alluded to earlier, is we've had several questions. And um, just kind of walk us through from here in the late June. What what um, and we've had several questions on this is what should the hunters be doing for the dogs starting now, working through to opening day and then through the season? Um, just kind of well, give us a rundown what your thoughts are as a professional. Well, well, I mean they they need to be doing as much for themselves as for the dog also. I mean, obviously you want to make sure long before your dog goes out into the woods that it's got all of its vaccinations that it's healthy it's been in for an exam i mean the worst thing you can do is plan a five-day trip and the day before you go leave on the trip go in and load the dog down with vaccines i mean the first three days it feels terrible you know so get all that done ahead of time make sure the dog's in good condition uh physical condition in terms of its heart and its lungs and stuff like that and any orthopedic problems that it may or may not have that you know about you know what kind of medications you're taking and all that kind of stuff along with you on your trip but you know overweight and out of shape it describes most of us hunters (laughs) as well as the dogs we hunt with and um it's the best thing you can do right now is just start walking. I mean, walk and walk and walk and walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's something we don't think of very often. Yeah, I've been running my bird dog Maggie uh, last night when I got even. Yeah. I was dead tired when I got home from work, but we still went up and down the runway, and I let her point right. at some birds. And and, and Doctor yeah. Hank, if you were poking at me because of my physique about being overweight, and you know, sorry, it's just the way it is. <laughs> so what what about diet? I know uh, John. Gosling had a, a recent issue with the, the grain-free. What What are your thoughts on the grain-free well, diet? Well, I, 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 I'm not, I mean, there's so many, I, I've practiced veterinary medicine for 30, uh, about 35 years now, and have seen every kind of fad there is come through on, you know, what to feed and what not to feed, and, and it has just gotten, and as bad as I hate to say the word regulations or somebody needs to be in charge of limiting who gets to make food i mean the only i mean you guys could decide that you want to come up with a formula and as long as you abide by the truth and labeling laws that are out there you can convince everybody you know what's best to feed a dog and feed them that Hmm. and that's why we've run into so many problems and this grain-free feeding fad 
and not all grain-free products are the same, but there's enough of them that are causing problems that I just don't know why it's so popular, but the the, uh, advertising, the promotional stuff is so clever that people fall for it, and they they go for it, and the USDA even has a website up showing the various, naming the various food companies that there have been problems reported with with yeah. grain-free feeding. Yeah, and I, and the, I, the biggest thing is the uh, cardiomyopathy, the heart disease right. that it causes. And, I mean, they're just some tragic, tragic. I mean, I, a buddy of mine, they were so excited about this hunting lab family they had, and they bred her, and they did all this kind of stuff by the t- and because one of the daughter-in-laws had told everybody, feed grain-free. By the time, let's see, what are they? They're about six or seven now. By the time they were four, four and a half, about half the litter had uh, uh, irreversible heart disease. So oh, that's that's geez. just heart wrenching. That's terrible. It's yeah, I mean, that, and, and and Tom Gosling's dog or uh, John's dog, uh, he just lost one. One of them died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. John, John, and us were uh, exchanging emails. We sent our condolences and. And we did, did want to touch on this subject. To, to me, I, I, I have very limited nutrition background in my career, but when you're extracting something of the basic food groups out, that just doesn't seem right to me. I know when I go hunting, I make sure I'm hydrated. I'm eating protein, carbohydrates, everything I need. Well, it seems like we're extracting something from the dog. I, I don't know if you agree with that or not. but Oh, I, I, I agree. But And, and I mean... It takes no nutritional training to start a dog, dog food company. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, that, it just floors me that you can do that. Um, as long as you're, that you abide by the truth and labeling laws in terms of your percentages, it, it, you can do anything you want. So if you've got good uh, marketing skills and, and you hire good uh a good marketing company, you can make a lot of money feeding bad stuff. Yeah, do you have, do you have an opinion on what you should be looking for? We know something yeah, without now to, mentioning without know, mentioning names. Should names, you be I looking guess. for a hunting well, uh, for upland dog? Should you be looking well, for a certain I mean, type of food? Yeah, you're looking for a well balanced diet that's got a little bit of everything in it. I mean, mm-hmm. dogs are omnivores, so they need a little bit of everything and they go and people will say oh no they're carnivores no they're not it, it, anybody that's ever been around a horse barn at feeding time has seen the dogs collecting underneath the you know the the feeding boxes getting corn and sweet feed and yep. everything else i mean they they just love it and they'll go out you know and even the prey that they will in nature they say oh the wolf is this let me tell you, one of the first things they go for are the intestinal contents, which has got an awful lot of, I mean, because their they're prey are herbivores. So, you know, they're, they're getting quite a bit of, uh, uh, of plant material in there. So right. They, right. They, they need, they're omnivorous. They need many, many things. So, and I agree with you, Kevin, about, you try to restrict one item, and pretty soon that that has a whole lot of effects on a lot of different systems. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know I've gone vegetarian several times in my life for 
weight reasons. And it does work, but I end up cramping because I don't have enough protein. And right. so just one system is being affected by the other. So, okay, you've taken right. us kind of through the exercise. And um, I, th- I hope more and more people realize, uh, I know my brother and I both trained to hunt to some extent. Um, and you've taken us through a little bit through the diet. Um, what else should they be, should uh, our listeners be focus, focusing with now till opening day with the dogs? Any, well, the biggest thing is you need to be prepared to go out in the field and you need to, there are essential items every dog owner, hunter should have with them in their hunting vest pocket all the time. And, 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 um, there's everybody needs two slip leashes and they're they weigh next to nothing they take up no room whatsoever and you need a a little pair of small needle nose pliers down in there yeah now there's a lot of other things you can carry but if you've got those things with you it's amazing what you can get done um but but you need to get your your uh first aid kit ready to go you need to make sure that it's it's got everything in it you need and i've got one of my columns had a actually i went through it was a series of two where put together a first aid kit and then showed told how to use the different stuff in it and i think the one after that was um restraint techniques and how to uh use a skin stapler and stuff like that i mean just things that you need to know to go into the field and so and and then the other thing to be prepared for always be prepared for before you leave is to write down uh, you know get on the computer and find out who the local vets are in the area you're going to hunt put their telephone numbers down and then find out where the nearest 24-hour emergency center is because if you're in the woods and you got no reception and you're trying to Google something at that point to get your dog into an um, to an emergency place. You're you're too late. Yeah. Right, right. Well, so, well, you kind of touched on, but what should be included in that first aid kit? Well, well or you could just direct them to the Upland Almanac. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say that those two those two articles were in the Upland Alm- Almanac, correct? Right. All all of those have been in the Upland Almanac. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, just, I can. I mean, I've I've actually got the. Uh, uh, the one is be prepared and it's got, it's actually got a cutout thing of what to put in the first aid kit. I have seen that. Yeah. yeah I read through it. that. And, uh, that actually motivated me to actually go out and buy a, you know, like I think it was a gun dog supply. I went and got a first aid kit for bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's some, and then I went through it and added and subtracted some stuff that was redundant out of there. So that was a really good article. Yeah. So you're so you're making an impact. Your article made my brother go out and do the right thing. So <laughs> she's always taking good care of his dogs. But well, well, the other one I keep hearing about is the one Tom Kearney uses all the time, and uh, and and our hunting buddy Bob Demont does too. Bob sent me pictures. Um, I showed him. I, I did a, a column on field restraint. You know how to how to restrain the dog so that you can work on it or how to hold it still how to tie it up and stuff like that you know yeah and w- one of the things we did was i showed them in the in the back of a, a suv or a 
you know, with a camper top, how to, you can put your dog, stand your dog there and then attach two leashes to the two slip leashes to either side and you've restrained the dog. So you've got both your hands free and the dog can't leave. No. Oh, so uh, Tom loves that one. He, he, he calls, he sends pictures and Bob DeMott, he, instead of having to lay on his dogs and, and, uh, get the burrs out now, he goes, man, you, you have saved my back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, so, are, what are the same, some of the things to, you know, this may be slightly uh, dark, but what are the, some of the things you've seen in practice and in the field? Uh, we, we know there's quills occasionally and burrs. What other type of uh, incidents have you seen that we should be prepared for? Oh, boy. It, the, the, the catastrophic ones, I mean, well, yeah, everybody's going to run into porcupine quills. In fact, that, that's going to be my next next column. But um, um, the catastrophic ones are puncture wounds to the abdomen or the chest. Okay. And you just, you know, how many dogs have you, I mean, I, I wrote one of my, my, I think my first column described it when my dog Belle impaled herself on a stob that was sticking out of a, out of a log, you know, and I mean, she really did a number on herself, but being prepared for that, just having a roll of saran wrap and a clean towel that'll get you, even if you've got a penetrating chest wound, a sucking chest wound, if you can get that saran wrap around them right away and then tape a duct tape a towel around it and hold it tight, you can, you can, if you can keep the lungs from collapsing, you can get them to an emergency facility to save their life. But if you don't have that, by the time you're, you get to the paved highway, they're dying. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I've fortunately never seen one like that, but I, I have seen dogs punctured on the legs and, you know, where it's drawn blood. Right. So, right. It's, well, they'll jump a log and I'm telling you, you know, bird dogs, I mean, they're, they're, they're 90 miles an hour all the time and they will jump a log. And, and when I wrote the one column, I got so many responses and stories about how they lost their dog and, and it was mostly from penetrating chest wounds. So that, that. Uh, my dog, my dog, she, she had penetrating abdominal wound and stuff. So, uh, uh, it, you know, I managed that. I, I, I was able to fix that in the field, but, but, uh, just having the stuff to be able to cover that wound and keep it clean and keep it, especially a chest wound, uh, I think a saran wrap is, is, is amazing. I mean, it'll, that. Just little things like that, having those things available um, can save your dog's life right away. And then the other thing is, uh, and the, uh, I think the last column I just, that was just out, um, was how to get your dog out of a trap. <laughs> oh, we've had this and discussion, because uh, we, that almost happened to us, last, to last, my dog. Last fall. Last, was that November, or, you know, up in the Upper Peninsula. Luckily, the trappers happened to just be coming by and checking their traps. This is around sunset, and my dog was within feet—ten feet. Ten, ten feet. Yeah, ten feet of this trap, and we had no clue. And so, yeah, yeah. That. So, how, how do you handle that situation? Well, I, I and I had the same experience last this last fall. My dog Lucy 
got got her face in a conibear trap. Fortunately, it was not a great big one, and it didn't go around her neck. And I'm telling you what, I had no idea. I, I've never handled traps. And fortunately, it had gotten down. It was it was over her muzzle at this point. And so she had kind of reeled back a little bit, and I was able to figure it out. And I had a buddy with me, and we squeezed one side, and she pulled her face out. But, you, you know, you worry about And I've had other people tell me about their dogs if it goes over their neck. I mean, it, they suffocate. Within three minutes, they're they're dead, and if you aren't right on top of them, you know there's nothing you can do. So anyway, I I wrote the column about how to release different types of traps by yourself, and actually came up with a couple of clever ones. But here again, those two slip leashes by themselves will allow you to take a big conibear off, and um, the. The biggest thing, and I emphasize it over and over and over, is figure out how not to panic. <laughs> and it's and it's easier to not panic if you're prepared. So that's every surgical room I saw in small animal medicine was prepared. You know, no right. matter what happened, everything was within a step or two, wasn't it? It was just right there. So right. I don't think we do as a group a great job of that in the field. Not our group, but. I, I, you know, I, I see what my brother's doing. I've seen what I'm doing. We're getting more and more prepared and, uh, by being educated by people like you, uh, let me ask you this. What about, we, we've, we've heard of and seen some incidents with transportation of having the dogs within the vehicles. Um, I, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus right here, but, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> dogs, dogs like tacos. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, so where do you stand on that? Do you do you have have you written anything about it, or do you have an opinion on the transportation? I have not written anything about it, and I'm the worst there is. My well, my current dog at least rides in the back. My other dog, my favorite dog ever, and she's gone now, but she rode in the front seat, you know, and sat up there, and she was scouting for me while I was driving, you know. <laughs> That's a really so, good dog, she Doc. She did not have a seatbelt on or anything else, and, but you should, you know, this is one of those do as I say, not as I do. You should always restrain your dog properly in the car, you know. Yeah. And Dakota uh, 283 is the best method to do that. Yeah, we're we're actually <laughs> sponsored by Dakota 283, which is a kennel maker for the back of the trucks. So that's one of oh, our that, sponsors. Yeah. Oh, that that is nice. I mean, those are great. I I'm just thinking of all the guys I hunt with, and there are a few of them that actually will put their dogs in a crate. The greatest majority of them have them laying in their lap while they're driving. Yeah, you know? and I learned the hard way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Things can go wrong. At the wrong time, you know, when you least suspected, and nobody got hurt, but it opened my eyes to this is just dumb. Well, so, just so, ride, riding around with a dog sitting on my console, you know, because she's going to get hurt. That's that's all there is to it. I mean, and and I've launched my dog right into the windshield, breaking hard for a deer. Yeah, you know, and and she just. <laughs> You know, banged into the windshield, looked over at me, like, "What was that for?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw WTF, Dad. <laughs> up up in Grand Rapids at a big clinic up there, um, dog checked out as I was in the waiting room waiting to talk to the owner and the veterinarians and, and the surgeons about uh, sutures, and yeah. uh, 
all of a sudden one of the techs broke into where we were meeting back in this near the surgical ward we were standing around talking and she goes so-and-so's back and the lead doctor turned around and looked at her and says i just checked you just checked them out they want she goes no they got hit they rear-ended somebody up here and that white german shepherd came from the back of that suv and died at the windshield and oh. i watched those surgeons like you doc do the heroic effort to save that dog and it was just too far gone and right at that point when it was all done I, I was trying to excuse myself and the doctor I knew very well, and he, he, the owner, and he goes, just one second. He goes, I got to say this to somebody. I can't say it to my staff. He closed the door of an examining room. He goes, why the, you know what, don't we restrain our animals in cars? They have no thumbs. They can't hold on. And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. So. Right. And we all know better. I mean, I, I know better. I, I even own dog seat belts. Yeah, and don't and don't use them. I mean, it, it's it's just I I should be horsewhipped. It's terrible. Well, for me, I'm not a dog owner. My brother has the hunting dogs, but I got to tell you, I have a huge scar on my head from not wearing a seatbelt. Unfortunately, that truck didn't have seatbelts, but it happens quick. And uh, we, well, you know, when when I I figure you're with roughly the same vintage I am. So when I was growing up. Nobody, you know, I mean, you talk about riding on the console, we all just laid up in the back window, you know, yeah. and everywhere else. And if mom threw on the brakes, the only thing that restrained you was her arm going out sideways. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. It's always a classic move. Oh, I'll break your neck, but you didn't hit the car. <laughs> uh, let's let's just talk just a tiny bit about medicine and, and uh, preventatives and any medicine you should carry with you when you're hunting. Um, I... I'm just going to say with my background, you know, tick preventative, heartworm preventative, all necessary things, Doc? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, and you should be well-versed in those things. I mean, it, especially ticks. I mean, if you're going to go into the upper Midwest, uh, every other tick out there is carrying Lyme disease. Yeah. So you need to They're... make sure that you've got something that is going to repel the ticks. You ought to vaccinate your dog for Lyme disease. You need to you know, watch yourself for getting ticks too. Um, yeah, one, one thing I've taught from my time in the industry with you guys is uh, one, one thing uh, we did is we took a prevent tick collar and you, when you clip the end of it off, put the end in a bag and keep it cool in your cooler because nothing will release a tick like setting the end of that collar on that tick. They'll just release instantly. So, oh, it, really? I did not know that. It's a trick that was that. taught to me about a by a surgeon from wisconsin actually and he practiced too and he said he showed it to me and it works beautiful it's just they just release instantly so wow um, i did not know that i will uh oh, see, yeah, spend, spend just a little... my kit <laughs> yeah just the cutoff of the prevent it collar and just touch the end that you cut not the flat part and it'll release but so ticks and fleas and heartworm and all that, and you should be up to date on your vaccines, your licensing, and all. We and that's all things you would support, correct? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. Um, and and like I say, getting it done in a timely fashion. Don't don't stop by the vet on the way out of town, you know, and load the dog up, get its distemper, rabies, and Lyme disease shot all in one about and expect that dog to hunt well tomorrow well and you I mean, hit you said something else we're we're pretty lucky with our group because uh one or two or three of us know all the veterinarians because that we worked in that field as salespeople. but i would really like to see a network of something you mentioned of where an upland hunter can just 
I don't know, maybe up on Almanac, is just hit a button and say, my dog's in trouble, where do I go? Yeah, that would be a great thing for Onyx to do, but... Oh, that'd be awesome. Maybe they're listening. Oh, that, you know, that, you just hit on a good one, because everybody's got Onyx on yeah. their phone. Right, right. And uh, another supporter of ours, by the way, but uh, no, we'll have to really. mention that to him. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a way. But, um... I, I just because you you know if your dog's in trouble you don't want to be looking 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 but I like your idea I wish there was an app for it but I, I like your idea of knowing who the twenty four hour clinic is which is really important and knowing who the veterinarian in the area is that right and and if you hunt the same area I mean like you know I'm in my in my actually I've got them on my phone but you know you can just write them down and drop them into your uh, uh, first aid kit and yep. I, I like the big hard-sided tackle box first aid kit, you know, because everything's organized and you don't have to dig through a bag or a pack, you know, looking for stuff. So. I, I like that idea. I like the hard kit, like yeah. a small tackle box. That'd be in, yeah. very good. Yeah, and then I have a yeah. soft one that I carry in my in my vest, yeah. you know, it's just got the essentials. Right, so. right. Because, you know, sometimes yeah. we get so far away from the truck that... Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Carry a <laughs> dog. It's 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 a long trip back to the truck when you're trying to carry the dog or walk real slow with an injured dog or right. you got him on. You pulled your vest off and you made a, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a transport with a stick through it and got your dog tied to it, trying to pull him out of the woods. Yeah, so. I, I did see a unique uh, new item. It's a sling. You know, you see these uh, women with their babies, and they have a, a sling for their baby that they'll sure. carry in front of them or maybe even behind them. And I saw somebody's marketing now for their first aid kit in the field. It's a sling. So if your dog breaks a leg or has an issue and you need to carry it, you don't have to choose between your dog and your weapon if you're by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, it's that's a, a cool it's invention. A, it's actually yeah. like a sling that goes around the dog and can carry the dog almost over your shoulder if the dog will let you if it's injured i the, don't know those things with babies are called baby bjorn so is it bjorn dog bjorn uh, beagle uh, bjorn beagle bjorn yeah. <laughs> hey do, do you do you currently have a hunting dog dog oh yeah yeah i've got uh, i'm down to one right now and I, I i traditionally have uh well it's about all i've ever had or jot hars and so I'm, that's I, on my list yeah I love, uh, I, when I first decided to get a hunting dog, I, as you would expect, I did my research and, um, and decided that I liked, um, the way the Germans have controlled that breed and, um, that at the time when I got my first one, it had not been Americanized too badly yet, but, uh, um, and I actually picked up my first dog over in Europe, and it was, and I have to say, she was 100, uh, I called her 150 years of German engineering, all packed into one little <laughs> bundle. And, uh, and let me tell you what, the Germans she was build good a, stuff, right? a bird-finding machine. She was something right. else. And, yeah, now, she, now, now, we know you hunt in Wisconsin. Do you hunt when you go out to Idaho, too? Well, that's why that's one of the reasons I moved here was because the rough grouse population is incredible here in Idaho. Yeah, in northern Idaho, they're all over, they're everywhere and nowhere. I mean, it's <laughs> typical grouse hunting. Well, yeah. they're everywhere. You see them on all the roads. Go hunt them. <laughs> yeah, go find them. So what? Then, what, but, what other... but nobody up here. Nobody up here 
all they do is shoot them off the roads, except you can during the uh, October and stuff. And I, I have found some very nice places, but I can always tell there's somebody else from the upper Midwest because they hunt the very same covers I, I look for. And I can tell that they've already been there, you know, or they left a couple of shotgun shells along the way or something. But it's there's a few of them from the upper Midwest that hunt birds up here, but not many. And uh, really, now are there other it, species? They're, they're everywhere. Are I there mean, other? I did not know the rough grouse was that prevalent on that side of the mountain range. That's that's interesting. Yep. What, what yep. other species are out there? And I uh, then, then the, the, I think they call it the dusky grouse now. Yeah. That am I correct? And yep. I know it was the. They called it something else for a while, but I think it's now called the dusky. And then there's the spruce grouse. Right. And uh, the spruce grouse yeah. are they're a little. It's a very particular type of forest you find them in. Um, Con- but, conifers, right? Yeah, all, all conifers and mo- oddly mostly spruce. But it's uh, it, it's not a. They're at higher elevations and. Um, it, where I find them, and I have not hunted them much, I just run into them. Um, they they seem to be in pockets of nice, cool spruce groves. Right, right. In deep, usually, too, huh? In really deep, yeah. yeah. And then the, the dusky grouse or the gray or whatever they call it. I, I can't remember the other name for it. Um, um, Blue grouse was the other one yeah, they talked yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, now I think they call it dusky. Uh, it's a bigger bird, and it's a little bit, there's little uh, lower elevations, and it's actually right on the Washington border. There's a lot of them down in that area. Really? Yeah. Really? And But the rough grouse up here are everywhere. I mean, just, you cannot drive down a dirt road without seeing them in the roads. Well, hopefully this fall you don't see a bunch of guys with bird camp stickers on their trucks and our listeners well, flood, flooding let their area. What, <laughs> let me tell you what. They, good luck to them because these are mountains out here. Yeah, you ain't going to make it, dude. No, I, I'm a flatlander. <laughs> uh, the part of the UP we're from, the east end, they called us flatlanders. I, I don't I do not do hills. Uh, I don't know how many times I've looked at my brother or a hunting party and go, I'll wait here. You climb that mountain. I'll, I'll be right here. I'm good. I'm old. <laughs> but, well, well, you learn you learn here. You know, I, I, I got another buddy that uh, a, a, a funny story is I was in the local two years ago. I was in the local um, North 40 store getting a hunting license. And I told him I wanted an out-of-state small game license and the guy behind the counter looked at me and said small game what are you hunting and i said rough grouse and he goes shrugged and said why hunt them they're all over the roads just shoot them <laughs> and, and and so, so a guy in line behind me sticks his head up and he goes you're hunting grouse and i said yeah he said what are you gonna when are you going and i said as soon as i get this license he goes can i go with you huh. <laughs> really and he originally was from Chicago, had grown up going up into Wisconsin to hunt in the fall, had not hunted grouse since then. He's become one of my best buddies up here. Oh, you know, isn't, and, that and, the, uh, isn't that special? And he just loves to go now. That's isn't awesome. that the special part? to go. The special part of grouse hunting is the memories, the stories, and the people who you bond with. Uh, and yeah. sometimes you think, oh, this guy will be really into it. And they, they after one hunt, they're, they don't like it, but... I, I know we've got some very special friends in our camp, so well, Spe- and, and special in many ways. 
<laughs> right. And you can always tell the true grouse hunters that because then they don't go, how many did you kill when you get in the afternoon? They go, how many did you put up? Yep. That's what, <laughs> that's what we count. You yeah. know, the, 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 the harvesting of the birds is secondary to us, but we, you know, we like to, we like to eat them, but. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 Well, Dr. Hank, we're at a point of the, of the podcast where we're going to ask you that tough one. Your first best or last uh, upland story. Wait, wait, wait. I got a question. Oh, the question came back in. about your dog. Where, where, uh, what kennel do you get your dog from? Um, this last one I got from, and I'm not going to be able to tell you the name of him, of it. It's down. It was, it's on the Illinois, Iowa, Missouri border area down in there. I don't even know if like those three Galesburg? states touch, but it's down, Galesburg. down in there. And I can't, um, the guy, boy, if you said his name, I'd know, but um, I would have to say with this breeding, and it's actually related to my original dog, It's she's been Americanized. She's much bigger. She's got a bigger beard. She's she's real pretty. And But uh, my, my other one, Belle, she was, uh, she had a work ethic that was uh, unbelievable. And, Lu- and Lucy, the one I have now, it's got a fun meter, and as long as there are birds there and we're having a good time, she's all into it. Oh, okay. If, if it's if we got to work too hard and there are not many birds, she's gonna find something else to go do. Yeah. Do you prefer the females or the males? I do, just because. I don't know. I always get uh, female dogs and neutered male cats. <laughs> hey, 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 Dr. Hank, that background noise you hear is our drought is ending in Michigan in about an hour. It's a deluge here. So sorry about the uh, rain noise. But we're, we're to the last little bit here, and I, I kind of forewarned you about this, but first best or last Upland story? Oh, I think my one of the first and one of the best combined is, and I don't know if you know a guy by the name of Ron Barton. He, uh, he's friends with uh, Tom Carney and Hugler, Tom Hugler and all those guys. Um, he walked, It was when my dog was very young, actually her first season, and we were in uh, a little bitty motel in, on Highway 141 going into in, in Mar- just outside of uh, uh, Wazaki, Wisconsin, and um, uh, called the Italian Inn. And I was sitting out there in the yard and I was getting ready to go to dinner. And this guy comes pulling up in this big truck and he had Orvis stickers and he steps out and he looks like he's right out of the Orvis catalog, you know. And he's totally dressed for everything and loads his truck, comes walking out and says, Hey, buddy, can I pet your dog? And then he's plopped down in the yard there and told me all about his dog who had just died he's going off to this hunting camp and everything and he waited a day and hunted the next day with uh, bell and that was her first uh uh woodcock she'd ever pointed and ron shot it and he and i've been friends for 20 years and he's the one that got me into uh the bird camp so to go along with what you say it it it's the people that I have met while grouse hunt or the good, the grouse hunter. I've yet to meet a grouse hunter. I don't like, 
I would have to think about that. I think I may be with you. Uh, true grouse hunter, right? And uh, well, there's a couple of personalities that I clash with, but other than that, genu- they're genuine people, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I've even become so accepting of the people we hunt with. Uh, I, I've quit threatening them to shoot their cell phones when they go off. So, <laughs> but well, that's a good story. I, I see. Our podcast is about the stories and the memories and the people and the dogs so we yeah. uh, we, we kind of hit it all today but dr hank we appreciate you could, could we reserve some future time to have you on if anything uh, dog I, comes up medical stuff I, anytime you want it's been a, just a delight to talk to you guys all right well, thanks for being on the show we really appreciate it that, that's dr hank clemens he's kind of split between wisconsin and idaho we won't tell you either secret location and because he won't tell us just as it should be and uh, we appreciate you dr hank uh, hang with us for a minute, but we'll conclude the episode here, okay? All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to enter the knife contest, check it out at Patreon forward slash BirdCamp. Leave us some feedback, which we would appreciate. Our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Check us out on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for BirdCamp. Our website is www.birdcamp.net. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next show. See ya. All right, welcome to Bird Camp. This episode is to be released on July 1st, 2021. I'm uh, on a phone line with my brother Kevin doing this intro remotely. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. Our studio got really big. How far away are you? I, I can't see you from here. I'm about 6,700 miles. Oh, my God. I'm actually a day in the future from you. Oh, back to the future for me today. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, already, uh, it's already the first where I'm at. I'm in the House of the Rising Sun. I've never been there. I hear it's a cool place. Well, I'm kind of locked in my hotel, but it is a nice hotel, so see what happens. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, texting last night about the uh, grouse in eastern Russia. Yeah, I was flying right over uh, that eastern Siberian peninsula, which is beautiful, by the way. And then uh, Kevin started researching it. it yeah, it funny. Was... Where is it here? See if I can find it. Sorry about the dead air there. They have uh, like eight different grouse in Russia, is what we read. And then they have one, and I'm trying to find the name of it, but I just don't see it here in our text stream. But it's uh, it's huge. It's big. I'd say between a pheasant and a turkey. Yeah, it and was. They're, they're all black. The one you sent me, right, with some well, colors. They kind of look like the love child of Liberace, a goth, and a punk rocker because the goth part is their bodies are all black except under their wings. And there was one other spot or white under their tail is white. It's a dark, dark black. And then you have the white. And you said and you it, found some uh, videos of them attacking like oh, kids yeah. and grown men and stuff. <laughs> well, the other, the other thing is they have these two vertical red marks but above their eyes. That looks all punk rock. They like stick out. I, I, it might be the glands that they blow up. I don't know. But 
it uh it's it's really a different looking bird and the videos are incredible of them going after people especially the males hmm. and th- this is not a small bird it's not a dove or something it's a big bird and they uh, aggressively go after people a cimarron that's not right something along that line but so there's uh, a reason to have an ar-15 right there yeah, oh my god self-protection from birds so yeah. but they have black grouse and uh Dusky grouse, maybe another one I saw when I was looking at it. So there is just with that vast amount of territory in that northern climb, there has just got to be a lot of grouse up there. I got to, yeah, I got to wonder. I know the transportation to get there is not easy, and I'm sure uh, it's expensive. But wonder what the um, just the licensing would be, you know, for somebody out of the country. That would be kind of insane, well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, out of kicks, I looked at uh, one of the you know clubs or resorts there and once you get to moscow it's 240 kilometers and then you have to have your own transportation you either have to get a car or drive the train take you out in the middle of nowhere it looked like and uh but the uh it was about four thousand dollars for the hunt and that included your lodging and food so that's, that's not horrible but it's going to cost you another six thousand in licensing registering the guns and Oh, at least. It's not like you can take your guns to Russia. No, you're going to have to rent, rent guns from the lodge, I'm sure. And and the transportation alone uh, would be and the time. I mean, I don't know how many hours it is to Moscow, but I got to believe that's about 11 hours on a plane. But Well, I was um, coming the other way from, I actually went, you know, from Atlanta to over Anchorage. And then we didn't stop, flew over and then just kept going over the uh, Siberian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And um, Katamucha, Katamucha. Yeah, over that peninsula, which is beautiful, by the way. And I heard that's like some of the best hunting because it's a, you know, it's a peninsula that goes almost down to Japan with some different islands or a lot of volcanoes, a lot of mountains. So we talked hmm. to Magadan, which is actually north of that peninsula. But anyways, that that'd probably be the place to go into. Go in through. What Anchorage into there? Yeah, if there's yeah. flights that way, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's there's a way, but yeah. that might be more expensive and more timely. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but so there was that. Um, we went from the drought, which we talked about the last few episodes, to now someone needs to shut the faucet off. So yeah, good took the fire damage possibility down. I was happy to see that, but tired of dealing with the rain every day. It's like Portland here. It just rains all the time. But uh, other than that, not a lot on the wires and about news about upland hunting that I saw, but I'm kind of excited about the guest today. Oh yeah. With uh, Dr. Hank Clemens. We actually, yeah. uh, just a step back, you're going to hear some rain noise on that interview because uh, due to scheduling, obviously, we had to record that a few days ago. Um, so we're recording this today. So just for our listeners, that's why it sounds a little bit different. And uh, In the old days, that's called putting it in the can. Yeah. Whole, the can. whole different meaning in prison life, just so you know. Whole different <laughs> thing. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. Um yeah, and Dr. Hank is renowned. Uh, he knows dogs, of course. He was a small animal surgeon. You know, he'll go through all his biography, but he also contributes to journals about the care and uh, 
of dogs, of hunting dogs. And he's one of us. He's a, he's an upland hunter. And uh, it's uh, going to be an honor to talk to him. Well, we already talked to him, but honor for you to listen to him because he, well, we're going to touch on several subjects, but a lot of it is how to prepare from this point forward for opening day and then through the season. Talk a little bit about medicine, uh, exercise, diet. Just kind of touch on all of it, don't, don't we, brother? Yeah, I mean, uh, he also writes for the Upland Almanac, which is a outstanding publication. Um, and he has some very informative articles on there. I highly recommend them. Yeah. We'll be talking about that further. But Yeah, I found him refreshing. He was uh, fun to talk to. And uh, he, he really uh, knows his information about dog care and as a non-dog grouse hunter, I uh, I just uh, I still found it really fascinating about the leads that you need and what should be in your kits and it, a whole different eye awakening experience. Listening yep. to him, some of it's common sense, but he's got some uh, some good things. And uh, uh, we brought up something about um, a layers on how to contact um, an emergency vet if you have an incident accident in the field and. Uh, uh, I actually contacted Onyx Maps about that and said, "Hey, this is a good idea that came up in open conversations." So hopefully they give it a listen and oh, that, maybe that they be, come out with something. That would be so cool, and it would not be hard for Onyx Map to do. Um, well, we don't—we're not programmers. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, we get into all that. There could be some licensing issues. Who knows? But it—it—we'll uh, talk about that in this interview. It is a good idea to have a emergency or at least a veterinarian where you're hunting. Uh, at least have their address. That's common sense. Um, well, but, we, we've never really thought about that because I called on those veterinarians for decades. And, right, right. So yeah, you so, know where they're all at. I, so I know I where just, they're at. I kind of so take that for granted. But, yeah. You know. I mean, who else would know where they're all at? Because, um, frankly, I know half of them. But, I, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that was a nice outcome of that. Yeah. Of course, there, there's the personal news that I don't know if you want to talk about, but the great white ghost has oh, gone, yeah. gone away. And Eli, we had to, we had to put him down. He was uh, having some seizures and that was the end of time for him. And so, yeah, we lost we, him this last week. He was a great dog. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, phys- we physically, he just wasn't there anymore. And mentally, I'm pretty sure according to a few vets, he had some dementia issues and we don't know how old he was. He could be anywhere from 14 to 18 yeah. <laughs> I think he was more like 13 to 14, maybe, but he, he had a wonderful life and we had some great experiences and uh, we didn't get a lot of time to hunt with him because he was rescued. Yeah. Um, I, I hunted a little and, uh, bit down in Georgia with him, which was where he was from. Um, we were told from the rescue organization, we got him from when he was already an adult that he was actually at one of the um, South Georgia, Alabama line, um, that's like kind of the quail bird capital of the world. Um, yep. yes. A lot of huge old preserves down there. In fact, there's a few towns down there where the rail stopped and that's where a lot of our presidents, um, a lot of millionaires back in the what 1870s, 60s, after post-Civil War time, where a lot of these people went down and that's what they did is they went down there and uh, showed up and sat there and hunted, you know, with their and brought their whole families. A lot of them would stay there for the whole season. Well, that's and, that's 
that's uh, down in Augusta, down in that area. That's why. No, it, it's it's towards the Florida Panhandle area, just north. Well, of there. kind of the same story. That's why that became what it was because it was the end of the rail line for people trying to escape the winter, and similar thing, different rail line, but it, interesting. Yeah, yeah, but we a, were told that's where uh, Carson Eli. He he was called Eli. My wife didn't really care for that name, and. Uh, we were kind of Ben Carson fans, so we uh, called him the White Ben Carson. So it was the, the Carson Eli. We went with that name, and he seemed to eventually respond better to Carson than Eli. So, yeah, I we called him the for his last hunt. He he uh, he was losing his hearing, and his sight was he could see, but not great by that point. Yeah, and we're out in the gym area, weren't we? And. All of a sudden, I turned to Ben and said, or vice versa, I don't know who turned to who, and said, where'd he go? <laughs> he yeah, he wanted, was gone. He was gone. What did it take us, day. an hour to find him? Oh, and we were right with him. It just turned our heads. That's why I called him the white ghost. It's like, where did he go? He was here like five seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, and then we dropped back to the other entry off the main road, and I went in there, and he came out for you on the on the road right he was up running up the road he finally figured out where we were well but... i was hollering at him and beeping the horn and just sitting on the road with the camper and and uh i saw you coming out and right about the same time i turned and he was coming out a completely different area just all happy and thirsty as can be just yeah. wanted all the water we had in the truck and that was the last time i hunted with him after yeah. that i was like okay he's that, obviously that... can't can't see and has trouble hearing and he was sore for several days after that. Too, oh, but. he was gone a long time too. Yeah, to the point we were writing notes to leave on people's doors. That's yeah, how bad it was. But oh, I was frustrated at that point. And, I was about you, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you could tell when he got back. He didn't. You know, that's when we started saying, you know, he. I don't think he knows completely what he's doing, not hunting wise, because he had a good nose. But it was it was like he didn't realize what he did was not good. He was just his happy-go-lucky self, which was what made him a great dog. He was just yeah. happy. Was yeah, and when happy. we got when we got him, he had a really bad. You know, we took him to the vet, obviously, and he had a really bad heart murmur. In fact, one of the vets is like, "That's the worst heart murmur I've ever heard." I don't expect this dog to live very much longer. But he, we had him for about six years. Um, wife says five years. I think it was more like six years, but. So, and the vet said at that time, he's at least seven years old. So, yeah, he was probably 13. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a young dog with a heart murmur and take him on death marches in the woods. Looking well, back, we, it, probably, well, we didn't, we, we didn't know. I took him on, on long hunts. I just, you know, yeah. sporadically every now and then. And even walking him where I live, I don't, I didn't really walk him that much. Because one time last summer, he started running after something and, uh, all of a sudden, he just fainted. <laughs> but he got up two minutes later, and he was fine. But after that, we, we had to be really easy with him. So we all we, we all we all go down in our life at some point. Yeah, and we first moved to our house in Michigan a few years ago when we moved back for the eighth time. Um, he got away from us, and he was still a little spry then, and he could see a lot better. He ran all the way into the little town we lived near which is what a mile and a half away, not even a mile, probably a mile away. And he ended up first at the high school and then he crossed the, the main road there, which is just a two lane road, but still kind of busy. He ended up at the store called the dog house. So, and that was used to be called a different name 
before we had moved away previously. So we didn't know. And my wife, you know, she gets a call because he's got her number on his collar. And uh, he's like, hey, this is the dog house. We have your dog. She's like, what? <laughs> Lisa wasn't a cat. This is the cat house. We have your cat. What? <laughs> She's like, the doghouse? What is the doghouse? And they're like, oh, it's this, you know, it used to be called this across from the high school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That's where he's at. We were looking the other way. Yeah, he was a young single guy. There's girls down there, hot dogs. And it says the doghouse. Yeah, he went. be wrong. He went to he the went dog to the right, in the right yeah, place. Right place. He was a good dog. He, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maggie, your current dog, is a great traveling dog. He, she, yeah. goes with, she goes with us about everywhere. And, yeah, uh, she's a little spoiled, but, but but the the white Ben uh, Carson was a pretty good traveling dog. Not bad. He he was just a lay down the back seat type type dog. So. Yeah, sleep the whole time. But, yep. yep. So let's. Uh, you want to get on with Doctor Hank and? Uh, all right, we'll interview this part, and uh, we'll slip right into the uh, interview with Doctor Hank Clemens. Here he is. <laughs> 